Let's go ahead now, and if you're able to, stand for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 6. And again, we're going to go through the entire section on the armor of God as we look through it. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. That's what we'll talk about today. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So again, we're looking primarily at verse six today or 16 today, and that is regarding the shield of faith. Again, it says in verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. I had an interesting uh, evening last night. I was able to visit with a family uh, in the area, and they have some young kids uh, six, six down to one, basically, and so had a delightful time interacting with these children. And uh, anyways, they were asking me all kinds of questions about Jesus and about God and things like that. Anyways, it was the one one of the girls asked a very interesting question. She says, um, "Pastor Aaron, do you ever get scared?" <laughs> and I said, well, I think all of us adults even at times, like I think there are times where we do get a little scared or a little nervous or we get a little bit uh, cautious at least as things go. So yeah, but, uh, and they said, so what, what happens when you're scared? It says, well, I can't run to my mommy. She lives up in Brainerd and that looked really silly if I jumped into the bed next to my parents. So at this age, but in, anyways, I think it's interesting though. Yeah, we, we are, we do go through times in our life where we probably are a little scared, a little nervous about things, even as adults. I think for children, obviously things like being afraid of the dark, or maybe some adults are afraid of the dark too, just depends. But I think there's moments where we generally get scared. What do you do when you get scared? And so I said, you know, what we need to do is we need to simply stop and trust God. That's really the big picture. I mean, that seems so simple, folks, but that's really what this life, Christian life, is about. When you go through a difficulty, when you go through times that shake you, when you get a little scared, a little nervous, you simply trust God. And then we go down to the kind of like spiritual warfare. These, these kids were asking all kinds of questions. I had a delightful time last night with them. And uh, so one of the girls, she, she's about, I think, four, and she says, um, does Satan love babies? You know, if you're talking about baby dolls, you know, things like that. Satan love babies? You know, this is from a little child. And that's a good question. Does Satan love babies? What's the, what, do you guys know the answer to that? No, he does not love babies, okay? Um, anyways, and here's the thing. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. That's pretty much the, how it balances out. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. So yes, Satan does not love babies because they reflect the image of God, okay? So, and then there's another question. I mean, these, these girls were asking so many deep questions. And so here's another one. This is the harder one. I had to think on this one for a second. And the question was this, does God love Satan? Ooh. I mean, this is coming like from four, five, six-year-olds. 
deep questions, okay? Have you ever thought about that? Does God love Satan? I thought God loves the world, right? God loves everyone. And, and by the way, you hear that preached a lot. God loves everyone. Come as you are, right? But this is the question. Does God, though, love Satan? Well, and then we ask a question. We're thinking about that. Hmm. Well, what is Satan? Who is Satan? Well, we know he's our enemy, but we also know some things about him. That he is evil. He is the father of lies. And because of that, God does say that he hates evil. Satan is the personification of evil. Exactly that. And so, yes, Satan is God's enemy. And because of that, he's our enemy as well as a Christian. And so, one thing that we know is this, that Satan's days are numbered. I mean, he's already a doomed foe, but he is, his end is sure. Okay? We know that by Scripture. And so... It kind of goes back to that question. When we have spiritual warfare or things that happen in our life that really just shake you, gets you off kilter, uh, messes with you, you get a little scared, a little nervous, here's what we should do. We should simply trust God. Trust God. And what does that look like? And we're going to talk about that today when we look at the shield of faith. Now, like this is, this is a part of the armor of God. We've spent quite a bit of time going through the, these verses on the armor of God. What is it, the purpose of it, and the elements of it exactly. But the armor of God, remember, is this that is given back in verse 10 here. Finally, my brethren, be strong, Lord, in the power of his might, the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the methods of the devil. And we've talked about, again, that we our, our battles that we face with really are not against other people per se. Now, Satan may influence other people to accomplish his bidding, but the real enemy is not people, it's, it's Satan, is the devil, okay? So when you're having a problem with that coworker or with that family member, whatever may be going on like that, that's not your enemy. If anything, that's your mission field, okay? So with that in mind, we have a real enemy, and therefore we need to have the armor of God. And the armor of God is properly suited for every believer. God has equipped us. He's given us exactly what we need for the conflicts that we face in life. When the moments that get us a little scared, a little nervous, a little shaken, God has equipped us with the armor that we desperately need. And by putting on this armor, we are then mobilized to live truthfully. That's the belt of truth. To live righteously, that's the breastplate of righteousness. And then also for the Lord, while standing confidently with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this is the idea that we have, that this armor helps us to live truthfully, righteously, and confidently in the Lord. And so now we are looking in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. When we take up the shield of faith, we do so by simply trusting God, no matter what is thrown our way. Spiritual warfare is real, but good news. In Christ and in his armor, we have victory. Wherefore, take up the shield of faith. By trusting God, what does that mean? It's simply to take God as word and believe his promises. Like I said, this is going to be a, just a simple, straight message today. But how much we need that in the, in the affairs of this life, that we, need a, we don't need some fancy, you know, complex system of how we fight Satan, things like that. Unfortunately, and I do want to give a word of caution, that sometimes when you find 
books and resources or videos on spiritual warfare, a lot of times they give like, here's five or seven methods of how to do spiritual warfare. And they do these complex things or prayer focuses, things like that. And it really makes it so, so kind of like otherworldly. And the thing is, this is very simple. To, to take up the armor of God is actually a very simple thing. I think we try to make it a little bit complicated when we do that. We have a straightforward enemy, and his, his tactics are, are sudden. His tactics are subtle. But it, what do we do to take on the armor of God? We simply trust God. We take God as the word. We believe his promises. These are very important things. So therefore, trust God and take up the shield of faith. That's the message today. So let's look at this verse and kind of unpack it of what this is talking about, what Paul is, is, uh, is teaching us, the Ephesians, and also for us today. And again, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The word above all here really has the idea of something really overall, or in addition, is the idea that we have. Sometimes it's easy to think of this, and some people have done it where they said, uh, above all, meaning this is more important than the other pieces. Let me say this. Are, are the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel, are those not as equally as important as having the shield of faith? Absolutely. It's not saying the, this is more important than what we've already talked about. This is saying, like, in addition or overall, this is the idea, in addition to all that we've mentioned before. So this is not saying that this is something new or even more important. Every piece of the armor is vital. Every piece of the armor is important. Why? Because it from, comes from God Almighty. It comes from our commander-in-chief. He suited us perfectly for that. Okay, so there is no lesser piece and greater piece of armor. Each piece is important, and each piece has a specific use. So what is that piece we're talking about? It says here, the shield of faith. Above all, taking or taking up the shield of faith. Okay, and so as we look at this, uh, the shield of faith, what exactly is this? This is, of course, Paul is referring to uh, most likely a Roman soldier. Again, we believe that Paul was uh, at least under house arrest during this time when he's writing the book of Ephesians. And so Roman soldiers were probably attached to him, chained to him. And, of course, Roman soldiers were prevalent around the empire, especially in Ephesus, who's a port city. Roman soldiers went all over the place. Talk about a great object lesson for what we're seeing here. So when we talk about the shield, what was that shield like? Sometimes you think of shields as being kind of like a, a small, round object, per se. But the, the Roman shield was very unique for that time. And the Roman shield was more of an oblong shape, almost kind of like a rectangle-ish. And it covered most of the soldier. It was about two feet wide by about four feet tall. It had a little bit of a curve to it. And it was usually made of two pieces of wood that were pressed together and either covered in leather or it was covered in metal of some type uh, as well. So it was a very heavy and sturdy, sturdy shield. And it was very important as Roman soldiers would go into battle that that would be the front line that they would see would be painted up according to whatever uh, uh, regiments that they were in or whatever uh, centuries they were in, for example. And as they would go in, or legionaries, I should say, as they would go into the battle, that would be what the enemy would first see, would be those shields coming at them and this Roman soldiers right behind it. So when it came to actually times of conflict, the Roman shield uh, could be held up and protect the vast majority of that, sh that soldier that was right behind it. And so whenever enemies would fire arrows, for example, flaming arrows, which we'll get to in just a moment, uh, that shield could easily be put up and to be defended against. Uh, it would have been very hard to work around. If you're an enemy soldier fighting against a Roman soldier in that, in, with using that shield. Um, it's interesting as well 
kind of going on the other end of this, for the, for the Romans, uh, often what they did in battle with the legionnaires is that they would, uh, they would of course, have their sword, which is called a gladius. Uh, it was a short, short sword, only about 18 inches long or so. But another uh, instrument that they had was called a pilum. A pilum was basically like a javelin. Think of it like, like that. And usually a Roman soldier would carry about two or three uh, pilums with them. And they would, as they, as they would approach the enemy, that they would th- uh, throw this pilum into basically disrupt the forces that were coming at them. And, of course, that would break up the line because when your enemy's charging at you by throwing all these, all of a sudden that kind of disrupts and slows down um, their motion. Also, the, the Roman soldier was a, would advance a little bit to uh, lessen that gap uh, between them and the army that was approaching them. But one thing is interesting, and you can go and research this all you want. It's actually kind of interesting that the Roman pilum, the, the javelins that were thrown, uh, often what they would happen is they would get stuck in the other shields of the enemy and it would pierce it so much that that soldier is busy there for, you know, they can't get it out. It's almost impossible to get it out. You have to break it. So what happens is this. That enemy soldier has to throw his shield aside and now he enters the battle without that proper protection. Okay? So that was all on purpose. It was, it was very... Uh, the method of the Roman army was just amazing how they did this. Anyways, I get off of my Roman history, for example, like that. But nonetheless, I think the Roman shield is absolutely amazing uh, with that. So here's the thing. The, just as the Roman soldier was important, or the, this, the shield was important to the soldier at that time, even so, the shield of faith is important to us, that we must also have that as we enter any battle, as we face any attacks from Satan. Okay, And so I like what Albert Barnes, the commentator, says about this. Uh, concerning the shield, he says this, As long as the, sh- the soldier had a shield, he felt secure. As long as a Christian has faith, the shield of faith, he is safe. It comes to his aid in every attack that is made on him, no matter from what direction. It is the defense and guardian of every other Christian grace. It secures the protection that the Christian needs in the spiritual war. So again, what this is give you, the shield as it did to a Roman soldier, it gave them security, a sense of safety. And even so for us as believers to have that shield of faith by trusting God, it really, by believing God in his word and believing his promises, we have that shield. And with that, we have safety and security behind that shield. We can operate, we we have that protection. And that's what we're seeing here today. Okay. Another thing that was unique about the Roman shield and, and Roman battle formations with the legions is this, that it, was, it had the importance of being strong together. Again, we think of all this as having a Roman soldier. You're an, an army of one, as the slogan used to go, right? And, but for Roman soldiers, you were not an army of one. Yeah, you were trained individually, but you were really also more so trained as a unit, as a group. And so what would often happen in battle is that Roman soldiers, they would take their shields, and they would basically link them side by side. And so when an enemy came, all they would see is cut more, it's not an individual shield, they would see a wall of shields coming together. And then how many of you probably have seen this before, probably in Roman movies, things like that. What happens when a, you all of a sudden get a volley of arrows coming against you? What do the Roman soldiers do? You got the shields in front, but what do the soldiers kind of behind, behind the ranks do? They put their shields up above them, and they make what is called a testudo, or tortoise. It basically becomes like a shell protecting it. And so very, it was very difficult then for any arrows to penetrate that unit. 
And so it, it was worked as a unit. So here's the point on that. As we look at the, the shield of faith and seeing how it's used, this is the importance of being stronger together. You see why? The, the armor of God passes that we see here, it, it is, in a sense, written to you as a believer, but more importantly, it's written to you as a church, as a group, as a body of believers, just as Paul was writing here to the church at Ephesus that you are stronger together as you trust God together. This is important as we walk together. So here's the idea. The book of Ephesians is written to a group of believers who needed to stand strong together in spiritual warfare. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. Go back, or Ephesians 3, excuse me. Go back to Ephesians 3, just a few pages back. And I want you to see Paul's heartbeat for this, okay? Look with me in chapter 3, verse 14 of Ephesians. Paul says, for this cause, he's talking about the church here and the mystery of the church, how it's come together. And then he says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might by his spirit in the inner man. That's kind of a call what we saw there in Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and empower his might. And here's the thing, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's the shield of faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God which patheth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so in these verses, we see Paul's heartbeat of really that the church come together, that we be bound in Christ and in his strength and his love and in faith together. This is so important. There are too many Lone Ranger Christians who think that they can be a Christian on their own, that they can have their own church in the deer stand out in the woods. Okay, if you're on the deer stand, yeah, you can have your time with God, but that does not take the place of our corporate gathering together to worship God. You can trust God on your your own, yes, and I encourage you to do that. But how much stronger we are when we come here together week after week, even our Wednesday service, whatever it may be, and we come together, we share our hearts with each other, and we challenge each other, keep trusting in God, believe His Word, believe His promises, let's hold up the shield of faith together. We need it. The devil would more than likely face a one-on-one battle with you than he would with a whole group of us, saying we are going to trust God together as a church. And as we sang earlier, oh, church, arise and put your armor on. This is so important that we, have, we come together as a church. By the way, you hear a lot of people who, maybe they had a difficult time at Church X or Church B or whatever it may be, and I, and I agree when those things do happen, okay? But that understand this, that the local church is God's plan. He does not have a plan B. Therefore, it's so important that the church comes together in the faith and that we stand strong together as soldiers together against our mighty enemy whose doom is sure. How important we need this. Therefore, what should we do? Take the shield of faith. Trust God when we do that. Trust God and take up the shield of faith. That's meant for the church. That's meant for us. So the question is this, then why then do you need the shield of faith? Why do we need it? Why talk about all these pieces of spiritual armor? Why do we need that? Because it says here in verse 16 again, take up the shield of faith. Why? Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We are under attack, folks. We are under attack. Why? The, the word wicked here is really referring to the wicked one. 
the evil one. This is, this is the devil himself. And we've talked about him at length before in this passage. We have a real enemy who is bound and determined to upset God's plan and God's kingdom and God's people. He'll try to disrupt, discourage, dissuade. He will try to do anything he can. And we looked again in verse uh, 12, talking about the, uh, the word against that you see there four times is mentioned. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The four times you see the word against mentioned there in verse 12 really shows us the intensity and that our enemy will stop at nothing to disrupt God's people and God's church. He can't get Jesus himself. He's going to get his followers. He's going to do anything he can to do that. How vital is then for us to stay together and trust God together? Very important. So as we see this, quenching the fiery darts of the wicked. Let's take a look at this. What are the fiery darts? Now, the fiery darts here really refers to any type of flaming projectile, all right, such as a spear, a javelin, an arrow. I know you've probably seen those movies, uh, for example, uh, the um, gladiators, a famous one in the opening scene where they are basically shooting these flaming arrows kind of all together as they are coming in. And so what did the Roman soldiers do to prevent that? What they would do is they would take their shields oftentimes and before any battle that was about to happen, they would dip their shields in water, soak their shields in water with a leather covering or whatever else like that. And as they would go into the battle, whenever any of those flaming arrows did come and they put their shield up and they would hit it, what would happen? It would be quenched. It would be proven ineffective. And this is exactly what happened when we put up our shield of faith, saying, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to believe his word and his promises no matter what. Whatever the devil throws at you, it will be out in a moment just like that. It will be extinguished. It will be quenched. And this is the idea we have here. Again, the idea of using these fiery darts or firing, uh, fiery projectiles, spears, javelins, arrows, whatever like that, the purpose was to cause confusion and disruption in the ranks. Here's the thing. If you were a soldier whose shield caught fire, what would you naturally do? You don't want to be caught on fire, so you toss away your shield. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Why? You put that shield down, you're more open to attack. You're more open to fail. You're more open to be killed. That's the idea that we have here. And so when Satan fires those fiery darts, those arrows at us, and guess what? We get burned. We get singed. What, and when we get hit with those problems in life and we question like, oh, what in the world am I doing here? Why should I even believe in God? Sometimes we're challenged people. We're, we're, we deal with that, those stresses, don't we? And what is so tempting for us to do is to put that shield of faith aside. Man, I can't really trust God. He's not helping me today. The issues that I'm going through in life, I, I remember talking with a friend years, years ago now. They were going through a very big problem in their family, and they said, our family problem is so difficult right now that God can't even help us. That's how they felt. Now, they knew the truth, but that's how they felt at that moment. How tempting it was for my friend at that moment to simply put down the shield of faith. And unfortunately, we were able to come aside and pray with them. They were going through great trials. And I don't know what trial you're going through today, but don't put that shield of faith down. Don't stop trusting God. Don't stop believing in his word. This is so important as we see this here. You see, as we see this, let's talk then about what are then the fiery darts of the wicked. What exactly is Satan throwing at us? What attacks are you under, for example? Well, the, understand that the darts here are really the temptations of the evil one. They're the temptations of the evil one. There are things like doubt. 
There are things like worry, difficulties that you have in life, seduction, lusts that we have, self-confidence, and even success. Did you know that there's actually some good things that come our way that Satan will use to his advantage? Back in 1 Chronicles 21, things were going fairly well for David at that moment. He decides to, actually the Bible says that Satan provoked David to number Israel. There really was no reason for him to do it. And what happened was this. Satan or, used that moment. David, you're doing really good. Why don't you see exactly how much you go, how much are in your army, for example. And, what did, and God punished him for that. Punished Israel for that, for that sin. Satan provoked. He sent that flaming arrow at David based on self-confidence in David and even his success at that moment. But you understand this, that the, what the devil throws at us, most of his temptations, his fiery darts, are actually sudden and subtle. It kind of comes out of nowhere. That issue that you may be dealing with at work, for example, or maybe in your family, or whatever may be going on in your life, a lot of times those things at least appear to us suddenly. Like, that came out of nowhere. They also come very subtly. Like, before you know it, all of a sudden you're in a bed of hot water. This is important. I like what Alexander McLaren, another commentator, says about this, that the fiery darts are aimed at us to light up the furnace of a man's heart, smite him unaware and unsuspecting. These are the weapons that we have to fear the most. Folks, we've got to have our guard up. We can't just say, you know, things are going even okay. Satan can use even successes in your life to do that. He also uses doubt. He uses worry. Things like that to basically put your shield down and says, I'm not going to trust God anymore. That's exactly what doubt and worry do. You're tempted to put that shield down. So, Another commentator, Vincent, says this, that temptation comes to us from a distance. Satan loves to attack us by indirection, even through good things from which no evil is suspected. Let me just throw out something like this. Let's say you're, you're working at your job and all of a sudden you get a raise and a promotion. Man, wouldn't we all love that, right? But sometimes that can go to your head. Oh, you know what? I'm better than everyone else here now. I, get, I have more prestige. I have more authority. And that can go to your head, things like that. And what does Satan like to do? He says, you know what? You don't really need to trust God because you're handling it pretty good on your own right now. So it's so easy for us to fall in those traps and be ensnared by those sins. One sin draws in another in its track. And so that's how the flame of the fire-tipped uh, darts spread. I like what Vincent also says here. Temptation acts on susceptible material. In other words, self-confidence is combustible. Think about that. When you think you got it all, I got this made, I'm doing great, Satan, guess what? He fires that dart at you, and guess what? Your shield goes up in flames. Because why? You're not trusting in God. You're trusting in yourself. This is so important. We've got to be so careful. Faith, in doing away with dependence on self, takes fuel away from the dart. So that's what exactly we do. We're called to put up the shield of faith. Trust in God. In that, you put your shield up. Okay? It creates sensitivity to holy influences by which the power of temptation is then neutralized and it enlists the direct aid of God. How desperately we need God's intervention in our lives. We need Him. I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. Many of you maybe know this by heart. It says, There hath no temptation you taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is what? Faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We trust in God. Why? Because he's faithful. He's reliable. He's dependable. We can follow him. 
Okay? So the only way to meet these temptations and these fiery arrows is to put them up or is to meet them with the shield of faith. And this is having confidence in God, relying on his gracious promises and his aid. It's not by our own strength, and if we have not faith in God, we are wholly defenseless. The thing, if you're not trusting God, you do not have a defense. You're open, you're vulnerable to attack. We should have a shield that we can turn in any direction on which we may receive the arrow and by which we may be put it out. That's from Albert Barnes again. I think it's so important as we think about this, the times that, are you ever scared? Are there moments you are? Let me share a little bit of a story from my son Benjamin. Ben were here, he would probably tell you the story. But what happened was some years ago, he was, he's had a few surgeries because of his hemophilia, different things going on, and we, we were at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, and uh, uh, anyways, he was getting ready to, he was getting a port placement in for his medication and all that. And uh, right before he goes in the surgery, they start hooking up the IV to him and all that. And he was very nervous. He was, I think, maybe eight or nine at this time. And uh, Ben took a deep breath and he talked to the nurse, he talked to me, and he simply quotes this, what time I am afraid, I will trust in God. Amen. That's how he put up the shield of faith. Was it easy for my little little son to do that? No, it wasn't easy. But he put his faith and trust in God. He trusted God and took up the shield of faith. You see, how then can we apply the shield of faith? Let's talk about that practically now. How can we apply this? Ephesians chapter 2, first of all, we have faith by having faith in God. Uh, we are, the Bible says, actually look with me over Ephesians chapter 2. These are familiar verses, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace are you saved through, what? Faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by faith. And as we talk about the shield of faith, we're talking about, talking about our position of faith like that, but we're talking about how to apply faith. But we have to start there. In order to have true faith, having that shield of faith, you have to be saved by faith through grace. Okay? So it's important that we understand that, folks. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't have that armor. You do not have that armor of God. But you need to have, what? You need to be saved. How you're saved, it's not a works. There's nothing that you can do to get salvation. There's no good works that you can do. No matter what people tell you. The Bible says this, you are not saved by your works. You're saved by grace of God through faith in Christ alone of his finished work on the cross. We praise God for that precious promise. So we need to believe God by faith. We need to believe God as word. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is so important. This is my challenge to you. How do you learn to trust God and put up the shield of faith? Be daily in God's word. Read your Bible, pray every day, and then obey. Read your Bible, pray every day, and then obey. Get in God's word. I guarantee you that the people who have problems in their life that are really are scared, are people who are not in their Bible regularly. Okay? How important it is for us to be in the Word. Get in the Word of God. Get in a devotional. We have devotions out there. Uh, Days of Praise and Our Daily Bread, things like that. Get one of those. Those are spiritual trailings. But get in the Word of God each day. Make that a habit in your daily life. And doing that, you'll build up that strength to carry that shield of faith that God has graciously given to us. I like what one, one person said concerning this. When we believe God and take Him at His Word... We remain grounded in truth. The lies of the enemy then lose their power and become overcomers. And in that way, faith is our shield. The Bible says in, Ephesians, in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
as we think about this, we need to, how do we please God? It's by living by faith. And I'll be honest with you, we also battle by faith. It's so important we do that. And when we do that, we believe who God is. All right? That's theology. That's who God is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's eschatology. That's the reward that we shall receive one day in his presence. So this is kind of a, a full circle of that. Okay? But here's the thing. As we take up the shield, understand that your shield is only, actually your faith is a shield, only because it grasps the God who is the shield. The Bible says many times in the Old Testament, God says to Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Genesis 15.1. So God is our shield. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the Lord our God is a sun and shield, for example. God is our shield. So in that, our faith becomes a shield because it grasps the God who is a shield. Very important. So then how does the shield of faith then quench the fiery darts of the evil one? It does so by doing this. I like what Alexander McLaren says. My faith brings me to a conscious presence of God. How can a man sin when God's eye is felt to be upon him? When you know God is watching you, it's like this. You know, when we were kids, right? You know, you could get by with something when you knew your parents weren't looking. Or when the teacher's not looking. Okay, we've all been there, done that, all right? But you know what? If we really understand that God is there watching us, by the way, he's not watching us as a dictator. He's watching us because he genuinely cares about us, okay? But as we do this, when God's eye is felt upon, upon us, how can we really sin? Faith draws back the curtain that screens off that unseen world and lets in the light that shows us that we are compassed about with a greater cloud of witnesses. And the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, is in the midst of them. No temptation continues to flame when we see God. So in other words, when that arrow comes at you and that hits you and all that, guess what? That arrow can do nothing when your focus is on God, when you simply trust God. Very important as we see this. I want to conclude with this story here. Uh, it's a good story. A guy by the name of Ernie Johnson, if you've ever have seen the, the TV show Inside the NBA on TNT, he's there with Charles Barkley, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, that group that's there. Ernie Johnson... As he's there, he's been, uh, his father, Ernie Johnson Sr., used to play for the Atlanta Braves. He used to play with Hank Aaron back in the day, okay? But anyways, Ernie Johnson's been in broadcasting now. And Ernie Johnson, he actually, um, interesting story of his testimony. He got, he got saved in the 90s, ended up actually in a Bible study with people like uh, John Smoltz and even Jeff Foxworthy, you know, to name out a few, okay? But nonetheless, uh, they actually adopted a boy from Romania who had multiple sclerosis, Nonverbal, can't really do much. He's on a ventilator even to this day. And then uh, it was some years ago now that Ernie Johnson actually got a, his father had passed. And then it was, I think, about another year after that, that Ernie uh, basically received diagnosis that he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so as he was dealing with all these pressures in life, he was really shaken. He was scared. He, his life was off kilter. And he went to a friend of his, and they're sitting there at a Starbucks, and he, in his book, Unscripted, you can read the whole story. But anyways, his friend basically says, all what it comes down to, Ernie, is this word, trust. Will you trust God? Because there's a lot of times when we say, yeah, I'll trust God if. If the next report comes back, good, I'll trust God. Or we sometimes say, I'll trust God when. When something happens that I'm expecting, I'll trust God then. We put conditions on our trust with God. But what Ernie Johnson said in his testimony is simply this, I will trust God 
period. Not with the, I'm not going to trust God. So many people, you're trusting God with a question mark. I'll trust God, maybe. But the thing is this, I'll trust God, period. That is a challenge that we should take today. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what temptations and struggles that you may be dealing with, understand that God is there and he has provided his equipment, his armor for you to live truthfully. That's the belt of truth. To live righteously. That's the breastplate of righteousness. To live confidently, walk confidently. That's the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then also today is that we would simply live trusting him. I will trust God. And in doing that, I will take up the shield of faith. I will believe who God is. I don't know about you, but this is so practical. This is, this is where our life is right now. So no matter what may be going on in your life, even if everything's going great right now, you know, that's probably the most times we're more vulnerable, I would say. Be careful, child of God. Take up the shield of faith and trust God. And as Ernie Johnson say, trust God, period.